Welcome back to the Walking Writers Podcast. This is your host, Sean Malloy. This week, I will be featuring a short story from my short story collections, Wings Upon Flames. For parents that are listening in the car, this story features explicit language, so please take the appropriate measures to keep your children from hearing explicit language. And without further ado, the short story, Livestream. Life stream. Jake jumped out of the water. The smell of summer filled the air, honeysuckle and cut grass with a drop of gasoline. The sun dipped below the horizon, which made the sky look like a rainbow lollipop. Clouds like cotton candy dissolved into the atmosphere like they were being swallowed by the stars above. The chlorine stung his eyes from peeking underwater where the world looked so different. Sometimes the silence soothed him to the point where he wished he had gills so he could breathe like a fish. The plastic rungs of the ladder gripped under Jake's wet feet while holding onto the arched metal connecting both sides of the above ground pool. Jake welcomed a challenge to jump from high places as he plunged to the ground from the third rung down, rolled onto his back, and laid in the soft, springy grass that tickled his bare skin and made him itchy. Jake's blue eyes wandered off to the stars in wonderment of what they were and how he could get there. His dreams were disrupted by loud yelling from inside the house. Jake's father, Robert, must have been drunk again because his speech grew in anger and in volume with every passing second. His mother, Tanya, sounded like she was pleading with Robert, trying her best to reason with him, to keep him calm. Her high-pitched voice shook behind the screen door that separated the world from war and peace. Jake leapt to his feet from sheer moments of relaxation lying in prickly grass, his heart jolting his nervous system to high tension. Jake was too young to understand what caused Robert's rage, but he knew it had to do with his drinking. The funny scent that permeated from Robert's pores helped Jake know when to hide away somewhere invisible to Robert until he was no longer conscious to make any decisions. It was like a demon possessed him anytime the liquor funneled into his bloodstream. He went from a decent human being supporting a family and a house on a government paycheck, which wasn't much, to inflicting physical and emotional damage on both Tanya and Jake. Jake remembered a day when Robert didn't smell of alcohol for a long time. The police force liked Robert because he was a good officer, but they needed him to be clean on the job. Didn't matter what he did after he left the precinct. After a few months, Robert left AA and went back to the same old habits. Go to work, come home, drink, beat Tanya, beat Jake, pass out, 
and do it again tomorrow. The sliding glass door opened to the deck of his one-story house, the aluminum siding with dings in it from Jake and his friends playing baseball out in the backyard. Robert made sure Jake received the appropriate punishment for doing such an atrocious thing to the house he owned. Robert stepped outside. Tanya's cries echoed through the kitchen and out the door where the neighbors would call the police if they knew the police would help. As a Suffolk County police officer in Brentwood, he dealt with the scum of the earth as he would always say. Jake thought, was it the same kind of scum that hits their wife and kid? Robert had a permanent look of disdain plastered to his lips and a slight stagger in his walk. He came outside to give Jake some trouble, and Jake wanted none of it. Get over here, boy. Robert always called Jake boy. He could always remember his father calling him by his name twice in his life, and both times Robert had been in AA and off the booze for longer than a week. Jake hesitated to move toward the beast. Did you hear me? Robert stared at Jake with a stern, irritated look. You leave him alone, Tanya yelled from inside the house with a hysterical weep. Jake gulped hard and walked up the steps of the deck, looking his father in the eyes. If Jake didn't make eye contact with Robert, he would get smacked for disrespect. This is something that he learned after a few times of receiving heavy hands and red cheeks. It's time for dinner. You get in there and eat what your mama made or I'm gonna find that belt that you like so much. Jake's eyes widened as he ran inside. His swim trunks were damp from the pool and the bottom of the trunks dripped a small stream down his leg. His mother hovered over the stove, scraping the pan of burnt biscuits with a spatula and using an oven mitt to hold the high-tempered metal. Tanya wore a red handprint across her cheek and tears trickled to her chin. She was dressed in faded jeans, a jewel-sequined turquoise t-shirt, and white keds, all topped with puffy hair pulled back in a scrunchie. She sniffled and held back her cries in front of Jake while managing to scrape each biscuit from the tray. Tanya diffused most situations that could have led to bad beatings for Jake by taking the brunt of Robert's abusive behavior. Jake sat at the table in between his father and his mother. The plate was filled with overdone steak, broccoli, and burnt biscuits. Robert sat down in the head chair of the table and scooted in, hovering over his plate of food. He cut through the tough steak with a sharp knife. The sawing motion wobbled the table, spilling some water out of the glasses and rattling the forks and glass plates. The tough meat needed to be doused in A1 steak sauce to salvage any taste. Robert chewed the meat with a look of contempt toward Tanya. His hands sprawled out on the table with a fork and knife angled toward the ceiling. 
The summer air crept in through the screens of the open windows, a cool breeze that reminded Jake that he wasn't wearing a shirt. Can I be excused from the table, Dad? Jake said, rubbing his bare shoulders. Robert looked at him, placed his utensils down on the plaid tablecloth, and nodded while he continued to chew the rubbery meat. Jake ejected himself from the seat and ran across the linoleum kitchen floor, down the soft brown carpet of the hallway to his room, where he closed the door and rummaged through his drawer for a t-shirt and a pair of dry shorts. Any moment Jake could escape his father would be moments he reveled in freedom, even if it was for just a few minutes. Jake awoke in his bed a sweaty mess. The cries of his mother woke him like he was still living in the same house. The smacking sound of his father's hand hitting his mother haunted him in his sleep. Jake's heart raced and his chest filled with anger and anxiety. Up until the moment he sprung from the covers of his bed, he heard Robert reprimanding Tanya while she wept in pain. No matter how many times he went to a therapist or how good things were going in his life, he would relive this nightmare and no one did anything to help because Jake lived in a neighborhood of cowards. Jake remembered the one time a neighbor reported a fight Robert and Tanya had at two in the morning. The next day, Robert went to Mr. Robinson's house, clubbed the mailbox off the post with his nightstick and threw it on the roof of Mr. Robinson's house. When Mr. Robinson came outside, fear filled his eyes as Robert pointed his nightstick at him and said, if you report me again, it will be your head on the roof, not the mailbox. So the neighborhood shut their eyes and covered their ears whenever Robert beat his wife and child. Jake sat at the side of his father's hospital bed. He remembered the way that he treated him as a child. He wanted to tell his father that he hated him, that he was the reason for his mother's untimely death years ago. But he didn't. He sat there in an uncomfortable plastic chair, little more than a thin mesh-covered cushion and uncooperative plastic arms. Jake leaned over, held his head in his hands as the hate filled his heart. There was at least a small level of satisfaction he received knowing that his father was dying a slow death from cirrhosis of the liver. Robert's yellowed skin and white stubbled hair looked mangled and old. His upper torso was propped up from the mechanical bed and the plain white blanket covered him from the waist to his feet. A cough came from behind the curtain from the other patient in the room. Jake split the lids of his eyes apart, angled up to the corner of the room where a game show played out on the TV. Somewhere deep inside, Jake felt this obligation to be here, to watch his father pass away, mainly for closure if nothing else. He remembered his mother's face the day before she died, her tired wrinkles under her eyes, the beaming glow of her smile as Jake walked into the room. All her worries went away. 
when she looked into his innocent eyes. Jake was 15 when Tanya passed, and Jake blamed Robert for her death. Although Robert didn't kill her, she was taken to the Lord that night because of his drunken, abusive behavior. Why she stayed with him was beyond Jake's understanding. The hospital room smelled of chicken noodle soup, triggering a fond memory linked to cold afternoons inside with his mother. The scent became nauseating after a few minutes, curdling the blood beneath the surface of Jake's skin. Robert's EKG machine persisted to beep, infuriating Jake like the sound of a jackhammer. Each beep pulverized his eardrum and dented his fragile heart. Jake last talked to his father about five years ago. It had been the moment where he finally stood up to Robert and voiced his opinion about how he felt as a child. Mom and I were terrified of you. You were a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. You think I had it easy? My job and the people I dealt with daily was enough to drive anyone mad. So why were you the only one to abuse his family then, Jake said. The anger filled his chest like a balloon. It wasn't the job, Dad. It was the drinking. Mom and I didn't deserve the horror show you became. You don't know what you're talking about, boy. I know that you were a self-loathing piece of shit excuse for a human being. You better watch your tone with me, boy, or I'll... Or you'll what, Jake said, inching himself closer to his father's face, staring him right in the eyes just as he was taught. Hit me? Robert stood there silent. That's what I thought. Nothing. Jake turned and walked away. You know, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be the man you are today, Robert said as Jake retreated from him. That's a sorry excuse for bad parenting, Dad. And after Mom died, you were even worse because you didn't care about me at all, Jake said, cocking his head over his shoulder. Sounds like you whine a lot, just like your mother. You don't talk about my mother that way. Jake stomped back toward Robert. You're half the person she could ever be, and if anyone was supposed to die in that car crash, it should have been you. But you were too drunk, like always. She died to get fucking milk because you couldn't stay sober for one day. Jake held his finger in Robert's face. Hey, I told her not to go out in that weather. She didn't listen to me like usual. There is no reasoning with you why you're like this. Jake slammed his hands at his side. You never did anything wrong, Jake said sarcastically while he walked away again. I miss your mother too. You miss her because she took care of your drunken ass, Jake shouted behind him. She took care of you too. Go fuck yourself. I don't even know why I came over here, hoping one day you will change. After mom died, I thought you would transform into something better, but you didn't. You didn't even shed a tear at her funeral. Jake stood by his car outside the front of Robert's house. I don't cry like a sissy boy. That's your job, apparently. 
Jake got in his car and sped off down the block, leaving his father standing there with a drunken grin. Jake worked at the airport, where he started off as a luggage assistant and then worked his way to assistant manager of operations, communicating with pilots about federal regulations, training new employees, and working closely with the manager to prepare financial reports and maintain airport records. He built his family life around his work and kept his family drama out of his mind while he advanced his career. In the five years he hadn't spoken to his father, Jake rose to a good paying job that he enjoyed being around, helping customers to keep his mind busy. It was the day he received a call about his father that reminded him of his childhood. It was like the summer breeze warmed his face once more. How could something so pleasant remind him of such terrible times? Although he didn't want to see his father, he felt he must to start the grieving process. The whole ride to the hospital, he thought about his mother. Jake smiled. Big plastic curlers and a blow dryer turned her amber-colored hair into thick curls bouncing with every step. A floral scent drifted around the house whenever Tanya brought home gardenias resting on the windowsill of the kitchen. Her gigantic laugh made him smile every time he heard it, even while he watched cartoons on the tube set television with the bunny ears spread high into the corners of the living room ceiling. He remembered her tickle fights she started when they both ended up on the floor giggling uncontrollably until they couldn't breathe. Gasping for air, they lie face up on the warm, fluffy carpet in his bedroom, following the blades of his ceiling fan. Jake's eyeballs circled around in their sockets as fast as they could, so he saw one singular blade go around and around. He would do this until he got dizzy and felt like his eyeballs were going to roll right out of his head. The white beams of light that flashed over the asphalt, yellow lines disappeared under the tires as he drifted out of his lane, correcting his wheel and car horns honking from oncoming traffic woke him from his euphoric memory. Jake pulled up to the hospital and parked his car outside the monstrous building. The bluish hue from the fluorescent floodlights and the multitude of windows lit from the inside looked like a checkerboard lying on its side. The pattern was almost symmetrical and intentionally lit in a cadence. Jake hated hospitals. The last time he was at this hospital, his mother was here on her deathbed. His neck bent, he lit a cigarette, and took a drag leaning up against the hood of his 2007 Acura RSX. The vehicle had over 100,000 miles on it, but it still ran well. Jake walked through the halls of the hospital. He passed an endless amount of rooms with identical large wooden doors, gray walls slightly greenish from the flicker of the overhead fluorescent lights stretched down the hallway in a pattern dividing lines like a highway on the ceiling. Jake finally walked through the door and saw his sick father asleep, propped up in the mechanical bed, 
A nurse came in to check on his father and saw Jake there. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were in here. It's okay. I didn't mean to startle you. I'll come back in a few minutes and give you some time with him. No, that's okay. Do what you have to do. I can stand over here and wait. It's no problem. I'm just changing his dressing. I can come back later. I insist. It's really no problem. We didn't really have the best relationship anyways. Not sure why I'm telling you that. I see, she said. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't even know who my father was, if that helps you feel any better. Sorry, Jake wanted to say more, but stopped there. He watched the nurse change Robert's IV bag and administer a morphine drip to ease his pain. She was so careful and gentle, he couldn't help peeking at her backside as she bent over his father to pull his covers down. He looked back up at her. Her black hair was pulled back into a ponytail and even without makeup, she was a pretty girl. He could tell she was a runner because she had a slim frame and thick legs. Her toned arms looked like she barely had an ounce of fat on her. He shook his head and tried to come up with something interesting to say. So how long have you been working here? He cleared his throat and scratched the back of his neck, diverting his eyes to the floor. About five years. You look like it. Yeah? You going to ask any other obvious questions? She said sarcastically and laughed. Jake chuckled. Sorry, just don't know what to say, I guess. You don't have to. Most family of patients try talking to me about things because they think they're being polite. But it's just more awkward when they talk while I'm working. Well, you're pretty honest, Jake said. I try to be. That's a good policy to have, I guess. Listen, if you want to talk more about anything, I'll be downstairs in a half hour for my coffee break. You can meet me down there, and we can talk about other things, or nothing if you want. Oh, okay, sure. Jake's heart skipped a beat. He didn't know if she asked him downstairs for a date, or just to have someone to talk to. All right. See you then. She pulled off her latex gloves and threw them into the trash can as she walked out to the hall. Jake watched his father in the hospital bed for five minutes after the nurse had left. The tubes in his father's nose that provided oxygen looked like long strands of spaghetti connected to a machine that looked like something out of the Millennium Falcon. Robert was breathing regularly and seemed to be fine. Sitting so close to his father made Jake feel like he should leave the room. He should go downstairs to meet with the nurse. He didn't want to stand her up if this was considered a date in some circumstances, but he didn't want to seem urgent either or desperate, so he killed time waiting for the clock to hit the top of the hour. Jake nervously tapped the arm of the chair with his fingernails, a habit his father always hated. Robert used to scream at him for tapping on everything and anything Jake's little hands encountered. It was a nervous tick that took years of beating to stop. Since he'd been living on his own, the impulse came back. The clock hit 9 p.m. and Jake got out of his seat and stretched his shirt 
trying to get the wrinkles out. He made his way downstairs after he sat next to his father, listening to his mechanical breathing and a constant beep that rang in his ears. The sound ticked in his brain like it was a metronome while he stood on the elevator surrounded by shiny titanium walls. His flesh-colored reflection blurred around him. When the elevator reached level, the sliding doors opened to waxed terrazzo floors. A few patients in wheelchairs were pushed by nurses down the hallway. His hands in his pockets, Jake entered the cafeteria. The nurse was sitting at the table in the corner of the room by herself with a tray of food. She saw him walk through the doorway and waved him over. Hey, I'm sorry, I don't believe I got your name before, Jake said, pulling his hand from his pockets. Stephanie, but everyone around here calls me Steph. Steph stood up and reached her hand out to Jake. Nice to meet you officially, Stephanie, or Steph, I should say. Nice to meet you. They shook hands and Steph looked at Jake with her eyebrows raised in question. Oh, sorry, Jake. My name's Jake. He shook her hand awkwardly faster. Thanks, Jake. She took her hand and wiped it on her scrubs. Sorry, I just had my hands in my pockets. It's okay. Just take a seat. Steph sat down and Jake inched a chair out from the table. The legs shrieked made them cringe just a little. Jake sat down and looked at Steph while she forked some Caesar salad into her mouth while lifting her phone from the table to check her notifications. There was awkward silence followed by loud yelling back and forth by two janitors verbally fighting in Spanish. One held up an empty jug of bleach and spewed some words fast and loud. It was hard for anyone to understand what he was saying. What was that? Jake asked Steph. I don't know. Those two are always at it, Steph said with a mouthful of salad. She wiped her mouth with a napkin as she chewed on the leafy greens smothered in creamy Caesar dressing. What's with you and your dad? She said, swallowing her last mouthful. He was a cop when I was a kid till he got kicked off the force for intoxication while on patrol. Well, that's a good way to get kicked out of the academy. Yeah, sometimes I think he took it out on my mom and me. One of the reasons why my mom... Jake stopped and looked away from Steph. What happened with your mom? She leaned in closer to Jake. It's okay, you can tell me. She died because of his habits. I'm sorry to hear that. Nothing to be sorry about. It wasn't your fault, Jake said sarcastically. Listen, I didn't mean to pry, but you kind of left me hanging. And I'm sorry about your mom. No young boy should lose his mother. Steph planted her hand on top of his hand resting on the table. They locked eyes for a moment and Jake sniffed as he was fighting with his allergies. How's the food here? Jake asked, pulling his hand out from under Steph's. It's alright. It's hospital food, so I would give it a B on the best day. Usually that is Taco Tuesday. For some strange reason, they have great tacos here, but everything else is mediocre at best. I think I'm going to grab something to eat. Anything to stay away from up there? Do not get the salmon. Got it. 
Jake got up and went into the cafeteria's kitchen where there was food under stainless steel covered trays. He opened the lid and saw some old looking stuffed shells with dried out sauce, popped the lid to another to find stiff chicken cutlets as if they were preparing jerky. He opened up another lid and the salmon was in this one. The pinkish color was almost brown and it smelled just as bad as it looked. He threw the lid back on and walked over to the refrigerated coolers with salads, puddings, and sandwiches stacked on each shelf. He grabbed the Caesar salad since Steph was eating it, so it couldn't be that bad. He then grabbed the salad dressing packets in the bucket at the bottom of the cooler, then a fork next to the refrigerator on the top of a cabinet with all the dining utensils next to some condiments in a metal box stuffed in cylindrical holes. Jake walked over to the register and the attendant scanned his food without saying a word to him. Carter Cash, she said with her earbuds still in. Card, he said back, looking at her long and disappointing face. She looked bored out of her mind. Insert the chip, she mumbled. Jake inserted the card and it beeped and told him, card error, please try again. Not yet. When? Now. Now? Now. He inserted the card again and it read back, card error, please try again. What's going on? He said heatedly. You did it wrong. Which other way is there to insert the damn chip? You did it too soon. This isn't my first time entering a chip into a machine. Fury raised in his voice. He was about to yell at the girl when Steph came up to him. Hey, Doris, I got this one, okay? All right, Steph, Doris said with a smile. Jake looked over at Steph, insulted and embarrassed at the same time. Don't worry, it's my treat. I didn't need you to do that, he said, placing his card in his wallet. Steph inserted her card and the payment went through. Doris handed over a receipt after it buzzed out of the small printer. I could see you were getting frustrated there. She was egging me on. Doris is Doris, she said and laughed. So I see you took my advice and didn't get the salmon, but you got exactly what I have. I figured it was the only safe choice. Usually the salad isn't, but it looked fresh today. Well, thanks for telling me. No problem. Steph laughed. You need to lighten up, you know that? I'm just stressed from being here, I guess. I haven't seen my dad in five years and it's bringing back all these emotions from the last time I saw him. I get that, I do. But just try to chill a bit and just have a conversation with me without trying to blow a gasket in that head of yours. I'll try. Jake wanted to explode on Steph. She didn't know him. She didn't know what he went through with his father. He stepped back from his negative thoughts for a moment and realized that she probably saw this kind of thing daily. So, what happened with your father? He was killed in Afghanistan. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You didn't do anything, Steph said sarcastically. Her brown eyes blinked at him rapidly. Jake chuckled. Now you know how that feels, she said, looking away from him. Was your father in the war? Yeah, he was in the Navy SEALs. 
That's all I really know. He must have been a badass then. Probably. The only thing I have of him are pictures while he was with my mom before he was deployed. He died before I was born here in the hospital. That must have been rough to grow up without a father. It was. My mother was scared by it pretty badly, so I basically raised myself. Sounds like we both have bad family situations. We both lost someone, and it affected the rest of our lives. But life goes on, Steph said, wiping a tear from her eye. I didn't mean to make you cry. You didn't. It's nothing really, just bad memories. I feel that way all the time, Jake said, and reached his hand across the table and gently placed his fingers over Steph's hand. His palm rested on her fingers while they shared glances. The silence between the two of them was powerful. It was like they could feel each other's pain for a moment. Their upbringing was tough, but they got through it and were successful in their careers. It's amazing how we turned out, even in those circumstances. Well, I'm sure we're messed up in some way, shape, or form. Speak for yourself, Steph said and laughed. Jake chuckled back. My lunch break is almost over, Steph glanced at her watch. Oh, okay. This was fun. Maybe we can do it again tomorrow if you're around. I would like that. Steph got up from the table and grabbed her tray. She looked at Jake again, smiled, and walked away to the garbage cans, where she emptied the trash and placed the tray above the swinging door of the trash bin. Jake opened the salad container, ripped the tear line, and squeezed the creamy dressing all over the green leaves and croutons. He picked up his black plastic fork and mixed the salad around. He stabbed at the lettuce and forked it into his mouth. Chewing on the crispy greens and the crunchy croutons, he noticed he was missing a drink. He slapped his head, not wanting to deal with Doris again. Over the next few days, Jake visited Robert at the hospital, but found the main reason he was there was to see Steph. She wasn't like any other girl he ever met before. Steph wasn't the spoiled daddy's girl he was used to dating. Jake was comforted by her family drama that was as messed up as his, if not worse. They both commiserated together, lifting the weight of a heavy burden they carried through most of their lives. Jake felt like he finally met someone that got him, understood him enough to have a conversation that was refreshing and new. The other girls he dated didn't compare to Steph. Good-looking girls, but they didn't seem to have the same fire that burned inside of her. There was something about her eyes that were like nothing he'd ever seen before. There was life and purpose. Even though her spirit had been broken just like his, there was clarity and focus, drive and ambition. Jake had an obstinate feeling that he should be more morose with Robert being in a coma he probably wouldn't wake from. But for the first time in a long time, he was happy. He came to the hospital after 8 o'clock like he normally did, but this time he got out of his vehicle with a rose in hand. He was jittery, licking his lips uncontrollably. He didn't know how Steph would take this, if she would go out with him, if she would see him outside the hospital. Jake knew that Steph started rounds of patients in his father's wing after visiting hours were over. With hopes of surprising Steph, 
Jake planned to get to Robert's room before she got there. He got off the elevator and walked down the hall to Robert's room. He turned the corner into his father's room, but he wasn't there. The bed was empty, and it was stripped clean. The machines were turned off. Black screens stared back at him. Confused, Jake checked the room number. He popped his head around the corner of the door. A plastic plaque with the number 809A hung from the wall. This was his father's room. Jake squeezed the rose tightly, forgetting it was in his hand and forgetting that it still had a few thorns on it. The thorn pierced his finger and he dropped the rose and let out an unnerving moan. Blood trickled from his index finger. He examined it and sucked the metallic taste from his finger. He bent over and picked up the rose when Steph came around the corner and saw him standing there. Jake, she yelled out down the hall. She ran towards him. Where's my father, Steph? He's in surgery right now. He went into cardiac arrest. They are doing what they can right now. Can you bring me to him? For some strange reason, he felt bad for his father and he wanted to be there for him. He knew it was against his instincts, but he wanted to see him. Yeah, follow me. She turned and walked fast. She cocked her head behind her. Who's the rose for? Trying to catch up, Jake skipped every few steps to match Steph's speed. It's for you, he said out of breath. For what? She continued forward to the elevator and pressed the button that lit up yellow. The red digital screen above the elevator doors climbed in number from the ground floor up. Jake caught his breath and focused on the situation. He awkwardly handed her the rose and continued to suck on his finger. He wiped his saliva-soaked finger on the back of his shirt. I wasn't expecting this to be like this, he said with a deep exhale. What do you mean? Steph said, holding the rose in between her index finger and her thumb, simultaneously sniffing it like it was the natural thing to do when handed a flower. I didn't expect my dad to be having surgery. I just wanted to come up here and tell you that I like spending time with you. They walked onto the elevator. That is nice. I like spending time with you too. Maybe we could go get dinner sometime. Their eyes met, but something didn't seem right with Steph. She held something back as the doors closed. Maybe we can talk about it later. Let's go see your dad. Steph darted out of the elevator when the doors opened. Jake followed her as she cut some corners down a wing and through double doors that led them to a room with glass window. He looked in on Robert being operated on by a team of surgeons. Steph stood next to Jake for a moment and held onto his arm as he stared through the glass, ghostly pale like the life was sucked out of him. This all reminded him too much of his mother and how she died. The pain that man had put him through. Jake felt his heart sink into his stomach and resurface as he remembered to breathe. It was like he rode a roller coaster that dropped 100 feet that was over in a few seconds. Almost choking on his own saliva, he backed away from the window. Are you okay? Steph said calmly. No, 
I need to sit down. Let's get you to the waiting room. Steph pulled his arm, and he reluctantly followed like his feet were glued to the floor. The image of his father's chest pried open couldn't be deleted. It was hard to turn away, but his stomach felt like he had food poisoning suddenly. Steph pulled him out and walked him into the waiting room with about 15 empty chairs and a stack of magazines strewn about on the end of the table against the wall. Steph sat him down. Want some water, she said, but Jake only heard muffled sounds. He just nodded his head, yes, and a moment later, she filled his hand with a paper cup filled with ice-cold water. Steph sat next to Jake while he thought about the times when he was little, the ones he could remember that spent with his father maybe a good time. Jake remembered the time that they went on the father-son fishing trip but his father was completely pissed drunk. He was so drunk that one of the other fathers on the boat said something to him about being belligerent and Robert punched him in the face. They had to end the boat trip early because of it and he never went fishing with his father again after that. Jake tried to imagine it like Robert was the father he always wanted, the one that went fishing with him and taught him how to fish. Little Jake stood there against the railing and held his fishing pole in the air, his hook dangling about. How do I hook the bait, Dad? I'll show you. Robert took the bait in his hand, its little fish head with its dead eyes ogled at Jake and nothing at the same time. His father put the head in between his index and thumb and pushed the hook through with his other hand right below the eyes. The hook pierced through and Robert swung the body of the fish and let it dangle there. Did you see that? Yeah, that was gross. It's the only way to catch a bigger fish, Jakey. Big fish eat smaller fish. Yeah, they do. And big fish are eaten by even bigger fish sometimes, even sharks. Sharks? Jake excitedly jumped with joy. Are we going to catch a shark? Maybe, buddy. Maybe a big fish will eat this small fish, and then this big fish will get eaten by the shark, and then I can meet a real live shark. A level of excitement electrified through young Jake's voice. Robert laughed and continued to bait his own hook. Now we have to cast the line. Watch me. Robert flicked his wrist and the hooked bait flew through the air and into the brownish water. Now you try. Jake swung the pole, but forgot to hold the casting reel down, so the bait swung back around and caught itself on the railing of the boat, flinging the bait into the water. Jake let out a moan. I guess the fish get that one for free today, Robert chuckled. Little Jake smiled back at Robert and hugged the side of his leg. He enjoyed this memory, even if it was made up. Maybe this was the way he was meant to look back on his childhood. It was a way to let go of his father. The way he was brought up by making completely new memories, ones that didn't happen at all. As he sat there in the waiting room with Steph sitting next to him, he smiled and felt the settling of his stomach. His heart rate slowed. 
and a blanket of calmness covered him, and for the first time in his life, he felt there was peace surrounding him. The burden of his childhood died in that room, and his problems were lifted off his shoulders. The feelings left him weightless, for the first time, like he was actually floating underwater. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my short story, Livestream. Find the collection of short stories on Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and iBooks, and also wherever you digitally download your books. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean E. Malloy, S-E-A-N-E-M-A-L-L-O-Y. If you have a minute, I would appreciate it if you rate my podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave in the comments section below what you think of the show. I appreciate your time, and thanks again for listening. I'll see you on the trail.